So this week I asked my kids some questions to validate the premise of my, of my message. And so here's the premise of my message. How you view God determines how you pray. How you view God determines how you pray. And so what we find is that there are multiple broken views of God, multiple views of God that people have that are not accurate. And when you have an inaccurate view of God, it necessarily, and I would say negatively, impacts your personal prayer life. So I want to share with you five uh, of the most common broken views of God that people share. In fact, I'm confident that there is someone in this room who has at least every single one of these. And so what we find is that this is very real challenges that we have in terms of viewing God accurately. So here's the first broken view of God that many people have. They see God like a genie or like Santa Claus. Now, I said to you, how many of you treat God like a genie or Santa Claus? Of course, none of you would raise your hand. And, uh, but this is the reality. We want stuff from God over and over and again. If you looked, if you were to document all of your prayers and aggregate all of your requests to God, what most people are gonna find is that's give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Now, I ask my kids, what if you saw God? What if God was like a genie or Santa Claus How would that change the way you pray to them? And here's what they said. I would ask him for stuff all the time. (laughs) My response is, what kind of stuff? You know what their answer was? Toys. (laughs) Which, let's be straight, aren't we given the same answer? We're just big kid toys, right? Protect my toys, give me more toys. Protect my toys, give me more toys. Like this this is how we see it. And so for many of us, we unknowingly, we view God as a genie or Santa Claus. Here's the second one, like a, like a grumpy grandpa, a curmudgeon. Like, okay, I had a grumpy grandpa. And let me tell you, I did not enjoy being around him a whole lot. Like, he was a good man, but every time I was around him, I was really concerned that I was going to mess up. So I asked my kids, uh, I want you to imagine that God is like a really grumpy grandpa. How does this change the way you interact with him and you talk him if you saw him like that? And they said, I'd be afraid of him. I would avoid him. And this, this was the clincher, right? This is where I think some of you, your heart is going to resonate. They said, I would try to try really, 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 really hard to make him happy. Wouldn't that just be, honestly, like this would be so pathetic. If my kids came to me and said, I'm just trying so, so hard to make you happy. Like, isn't that like the opposite of what you want your kids to actually say to you? Doesn't that reveal like there's something broken here going on? Uh, Many people view God like an absent father. He gave me life, but he doesn't really care a ton about what I do. So I asked my kids, if God was like an absent father, um, how would that change the way you interact with him? I explained it in obviously nine, seven, and five-year-old terms. And and, uh, what they said is, I would try to get away with a lot. And I wouldn't worry about obeying a whole lot. Which for people who just see God as functionally deistic, he wound up the clock of our lives, walked away, isn't really concerned about the day in and day out affairs. And of course, they're not really concerned about what God thinks because functionally, from their perspective, God isn't really paying attention. And if you view God this way, this is absolutely going to affect the way you interact with him. Here's another one, like a pool lifeguard. 
You forget about him or her, but you're really, really glad that they're there when you need them. Now, here's the deal. The difference between the genie is like, with the genie, you're constantly going back and saying, gimme, 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 gimme. This is the kind of, this is the situation where you're not really like, really paying attention. Like out of the corner of your eye, you're glad he's there. You know he's watching over everything, right? Um, but this is, this is a little bit different. I asked them, what, what would your interactions with God be like if he were like a lifeguard? Just always watching, but he only jumped in whenever there was a problem. And here's what they said. He wouldn't be that important to me because they don't really care about the lifeguard at all. Here's the last one. Like an overachieving coach, works-based, performance-driven, driving to see people be better, do better, bigger, better, right? So I asked my kids, what if, what if God was like that drill sergeant coach who was always like, bigger, better, better, you can do better, right? And he's always yawning. Here's what, here's what they, they said. I wouldn't like him very much. I'd probably mess up a lot. I bet he yells a lot. You could see how your view of God is going to determine how you pray to God. And this, this last one, this um, overachieving coach, um, is I think one of the most um, relevant ways that the first century Jews understood God. This was their view of God. And this view of God determined how they would pray. And I, I just want to tell you this, that there are prayers that God hears and he's like, not interested now, if I'm you, I want to know what that is. I want to know what that looks like, right? Because uh, I want to know that when I go before the Lord, I want to know that I have his ear and I want to know that he's responding to me. Like, I don't waste my breath with God. Like, when I pray to him and I pour out praise to him or I ask him for something, I want to know that he, he's listening and I want to know that I'm actually connecting with him. Don't you want to know that? Isn't that something that would be valuable for you to know? There's, there's a better way to view God. And just for the sake of being fun, I'm not gonna tell it to you until about two-thirds of the way through the sermon. So if you wanna know it, you just gotta stick with me and wait. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles, Matthew chapter six, verse five. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is going to address right now your personal prayer life. He is not gonna be addressing corporate prayer. He's gonna be addressing you and your individual prayer life with God. This is not a guilt sermon. This is a how-to sermon. Uh, You're going to find in in, in this teaching from Jesus, he's not just like overwhelming you with guilt and you're not good enough and you're not big enough and whatever. What Jesus wants to do is to help realign you so that you view God accurately. And as you view God accurately, you will actually start to pray in a way that is effective because how you pray reveals your view of God. Number one in your notes, my prayers always reveal me. Verse five, Jesus says, and when you pray, what's, what is the assumption if you have any God concept whatsoever? That you're praying, thank you. You must not, I mean, whatever you do, you must not be like the hypocrites. And last week we saw the hypocrites were the actors. They're people who have a facade, a charade. What you see on the outside is inconsistent with what is happening on the inside, right? And, and religious leaders are, are, fall prey to this probably more than most. And this is something that's very concerning, and Jesus is going to draw attention to the religious leaders, and he's going to say, look, you see what they're doing on the outside, and you see the things they're saying and the way they're acting, but I'm telling you, on the inside is darkness. They're hypocrites. They're on a stage, and you are the audience. And you got to be really, really careful of this. And when you pray, don't be like them. Look at them, observe them, and do the opposite because something's really broken inside of them. Their view of God is really broken. Uh, I want you to notice a few things about the hypocrite's prayer life. In verse 5, he goes on and says, For they 
love. They don't just find themselves. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Notice this, their motive, that they may be seen by others. Okay, this is not acceptable culturally. If you do this, you're just kind of a a weird person, okay? But in this day, this was really, really normal. The religious leaders would show off their piety by taking their personal, private prayer lives and going public. They would exercise them in a way that everyone would know what they're saying and they would exercise it in a way that everybody would see them. That would be the goal. Now, here's the deal. It's supposed to be your personal, private prayer life. And this is what Jesus wants to go after. He says about them, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So what does this reveal about their God concept? Uh, I think the best analogy that I could give is they view God like a Stepford wife. All that matters is what's on the inside. And the reality of the insides, or the outsides, the reality of the insides are not relevant or important. Now, if you view God like this, you can understand why they can pray like this. Because if all they believe that God cares about is the external ritual and that people see you praying and all that kind of stuff, well, then the scribes and the Pharisees, they're doing exactly what they should do. Their view of God is determining how they pray to God. But then in verse six, he gives them personal instructions. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. I love just this act. Ensure that no one sees you. This is private. It's no one's business. No one needs to hear what you're saying. This is you and it's God. And God wants you to have a prayer life with your spouse and with your kids and corporately with the church. But before all of that, there's a personal, private prayer life that God expects that you and I are going to have with him. And that we need to go into our room, shut the door, and you pray to your father who is where? In secret. And then he says, and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Here's what's what's interesting. Like obviously God is omnipresent. Like God's everywhere in, in, in one sense, right? But it's interesting that if you want to meet with God, where is God going to be found? Alone. That, that there's actually a way to pursue praying with God where he won't be found by you. That here's what he wants you to know. If you can get to a place where you just want to meet with God, shut the door, here's my promise to you. You will find God in that place. But if your motivation is to look godly, impress God, impress other people, whatever it is, Like the implication here is that God's not found in that place. Yes, God's everywhere, but if you want to have a personal prayer life with God where he responds and you hear him and there's interaction, that that whole experience, if that's what you want, it's found in a private, secret place that no one knows about except for you and for him. What does this tell you that God wants from us? A personal relationship. Does God want you to have a corporate relationship with the church and the people of God? Of course, the answer is Yes, does God want you, does God want to be involved in your marriage and your family and the prayer life of your family? The answer, of course, is yes. But what is central to all of this? Your personal relationship with God that's between you and him, and it's a secret. He says, he says this, that your father who sees what's happening in secret, he will reward you. I, I don't know what the rewards are, but there's a couple options here. 
One is that he rewards you with himself in response and interaction. That if that's really what you want as a relationship with God, he will reward you with himself. Sometimes it's just the response, sheer yes, no, getting clarity on what he wants from you or what you are asking about. Maybe it's something where he propels you into the future where after we're all dead and there's a new heaven and a new earth and and you're gonna be rewarded for it. Whatever it is, here's the point. That the son or daughter of God who has a personal relationship with him, who goes to him in private, who doesn't brag about the prayer life, who is just going before him and interceding, they're gonna be measurably rewarded here and there. And that the person who has this, honestly, you may not even know about it. You may not even know about it. If I have to go around saying, well, I spent you know, an hour and a half of prayer this morning, I'm gonna do another hour and a half tonight. You know? and if I go around talking about my prayer life, it no longer becomes secret. There's something about it. There's something about this private prayer life that is of such value to God. And here's what he says. I will meet you there. That's where I'll meet you. Notice three things about this. Where does God want us to meet? Meet him in the secret. What does God want there? Personal relationship. And what is done there, there is uniquely rewarded. Verse seven. And when you pray, do not, do not heap up empty phrases. Literally, this just means much words. (laughs) As the Gentiles, or those of the non-Christians who worship pagan deities, for they think, they really believe this, that they will be heard for their many Words. There's, there's probably two applications of this. Number one is the repeating of mantras over and over and over again because somehow God has like a word limit and when you hit the word limit, he's like, I'm impressed. You're pretty amazing. You can talk by yourself for long periods of time repeating phrases. Kudos to you, right? That's one option. The other option is that you just pray ridiculously long prayers. Like have you ever heard someone pray and you're like, for the love of God, be done? I've never felt that, by the way. I'm just saying you're terrible people if you have. Okay, uh, <laughs> Mark chapter 12, Jesus, Jesus just nails this idea. I want you to listen to what he says. Mark 12, 38, it says, and in his teaching, he, Jesus said, beware of the scribes. That's this religious group of people. These are the hypocrites, the ones who pray out loud in the corners and all this stuff. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. Look how long my robe is, right? And they like greetings in the marketplace and they love to say hi extra loud so everybody knows I'm rabbi so-and-so, I'm really important. Hey, they love the schmoozing and all that kind of stuff. And they have the best seats in the synagogues. Like there are special seats reserved in the synagogue for important people. And they're like, that's, that's my seat. Get out of my seat. That's uh, mine. And they love the place of honor at feasts. They, he says this, they also devour widows. So the scribes, the Pharisees, they actually um, had a corner on the market of real estate in a, in a way that would be applied then, very different than now. But so they, w- they would actually go to some of these widows and they would say something like this. Um, hey, I, you're, you know what? Your husband's dead. You've got all this money. I think if you really want to honor the Lord, why don't you sell everything you have and give it to the synagogue? I'll take care of it for you, all right? And, and, he's, and Jesus says they're devouring the widows. They're leaving them destitute and taking all their money. Like these are real practices that these religious leaders were doing. But then he says this, and for a pretense, for the perception, a false perception, they make long prayers. They just sit there and they talk and they talk and they use big theological words and they go and they go. And Jesus says, they will receive, hear this, greater condemnation. Like there's something about prayer lives that are heaping up empty, long words where your heart is disengaged because you think it's gonna give you brownie points with other people and with God. And he's like, honestly, I don't, I'm, not even gonna, I, I'm not even interested in what you're saying. 
Like there, there, are, there are prayers that we throw up to God and he's like, honestly, that's, I, I, please stop. I'd rather you say nothing. Isn't that, hard to, isn't that hard to swallow? I don't want to throw up empty, heartless prayers to God. First, the problem with this is they use a lot of words. The second is they don't mean it. What does this tell us about their God concept? They view God like a trite boss, only concerned with the bottom line. All that matters is you meet the quota of words. All that matters is you meet the quota of mantras. And that's broken. That is an ugly view of God. Could you imagine a dad who would only respond to you when you did the minimal requirements? It didn't even matter if your heart was involved. I mean, this is a crazy view of God, but how you view God determines how you pray. Uh, when I was, I grew up when, going, going to Catholic school my whole life, and uh, I went to confession one time, and uh, I was a Protestant kid in a Catholic school, so I thought I would, I would try it. And I went into confession one time, and uh, the priest heard my sin. I have no idea what I even told him. And uh, the response was, you have to do X amount of rosaries. And uh, if you know what the rosary is, it's glory bees and our fathers and Hail Marys, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then somehow in the act of this penance, that in the recitation of much prayer, that God would somehow look down and I would be somewhat absolved uh, from the guilt of this sin. It's interesting because what that reveals is a broken view of God. What it reveals that there's something wrong with how you see God, that if this is what is required for restitution, then maybe something is broken in your view of God. Here's what verse eight says. This is, this is a great summary. Do not be like them. Stop it. Look what they're doing and do the opposite. You want me to like turn my ear against your prayers? Be like them. You want, to re- you, want, you want me, you want me to respond and to listen and to meet you? Here's where it's gonna happen. Quietly, privately, nobody knows about it. And I'm gonna meet you there and I will reward you personally. But the moment you do it with the door open so that people see you and you do it for false pretense, sorry, conversation over. Isn't that interesting? Like the, throughout all of this Sermon on the Mount, we want to be seen, don't we? By other people. And Jesus keeps pressing us and saying, it's not about what other people think. It is about your personal, private relationship with God. You don't tell people what you give. You don't tell people about your personal prayer lives and how awesome it is and how magnificent you are. Some things are meant to be private. You have, you have a spouse. You have conversations that are just between the two of you. It's just for you guys. You don't need to tell the whole world about that. There's some things that are just between you and God, and that is okay. Don't be like them. Point number two in your notes, my prayers should proclaim God. So this section of the Sermon on the Mount, it's called the Lord's Prayer. Good, good, good. So Jesus is going to teach us two things. Uh, Number one, he's going to teach us what is valuable to God, uh, what is really important to his heart. Uh, But number two, he's going to teach us how to view God, how to relate to God. Because there are wrong ways to relate to God. If you have the wrong view of God, what does that mean? You're going to pray to God in a way that is ineffective. So in verse 9, here's what he says. He says, pray then like this. Now, the Lord's Prayer, it's also found in the book of Luke. And in, in the book of Luke, here's how it's set up. The disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Let me tell you what he does not tell them. He does not, they do not ask him, Lord, teach us a prayer. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, let's get more context. Is this about corporate prayer or private, 
personal prayer that's the overflow of our relationship with God. Personal private prayer, right? It's interesting that in the church, this has become a corporate proclamation. But in its context, what Jesus is trying to do is trying to say, look, this is about personal private prayer between you and God. That's the whole point of what we're talking about here. Uh, so they come to him, and, and there's, this is what you got to get. There, there is something so different about the way Jesus prayed that they had never probably seen anything like it. In fact, if you want like a real example of Jesus praying, go to John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. Um, if anything should be called the Lord's prayer, it's John 17. It's just this beautiful um, prayer that he gives. The disciples heard it and they recorded it and you get to see the heart of Jesus Christ laid out before his heavenly father. It's just a really meaningful, beautiful prayer. And, and so when they, when they saw him, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and all these people, like they are praying in these really weird formalized ways. And, and Jesus was so shockingly different that they said, I, will you just teach us how to do this? Because we've never really seen anything like this before. This is really different. And, and before I get down to the how and what, I, I gotta just answer a question so we could take it off the plate so you can actually listen to me for the rest of the sermon. When is it okay to pray the Lord's Prayer? Um, I'll give you three conditions that have to be met for you to articulate the Lord's Prayer in a way that is pleasing to God. Um, but go into your community groups and debate this thing. Get into really big fights and argue and punch and then let me know how it goes. So that's called sarcasm. All right, three conditions. First, you have to understand it. You have to actually know what it means and why it's there. That's a really valuable thing. Uh, num number two, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but you have to mean it, <laughs> Right? It's not, so like in, in the Christian tradition, it's become permissible for us just to say it. And that somehow when we say it, we feel like everything's gonna be okay. I did something good. We recited it corporately. That's satisfying. God's happy. But, but here's the deal. You gotta mean it. You gotta understand it, and you gotta mean it. And, and this, I think, is probably most important for today. It is not a substitute but a supplement. So I want you to imagine, um, I'm taking vitamins, and I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna eat food anymore. I'm just gonna take vitamins all the time. That's ridiculous. That's what it's like to only pray recited prayers by other people. That's what it's, that, that's what it's like to never actually have a personal relationship with God where you, out of your own heart, are talking to God personally. If you wanna use someone else's prayers or Jesus's prayer here, fine. You gotta understand it, you gotta mean it, and it is meant to be a supplement. It's a vitamin. It is not the substance. The substance is your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner, and your snacks, and all that kind of stuff, which represents your personal, private prayer life with God. Now, is it wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer? No, but if you don't mean it, you're no better than the Gentiles heaping up empty words. And that's not what the Lord's Prayer is about. There is an incredible poll, especially those in this room who come from Orthodox or Catholic uh, backgrounds. There's this poll in you that just to say the prayer, that all of a sudden things are gonna be better. And Jesus is like, no. Shut the door and talk to me. Let's talk to me. So, as we said earlier, there's a better way to view God. Uh, we view God as a dad. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to prove it in the, in the Bible. You, if your prayer life is going to be the most effective, your private, personal prayer life, first and foremost, God is your 
dad. First and foremost, you miss this. You're gonna miss why Jesus's prayer, why the Lord's prayer, why this whole teaching is so shocking and revolutionary. Let me say it this way. There is nothing in terms of what Jesus says to pray for that is new to the Jewish mind. Nothing. Uh, the Jews were praying for all these things, the will of God, the kingdom of God, give us this day our daily bread. These are not new concepts for them. What is new and novel was how Jesus addressed God. Here's what he says. Our Father in heaven. Literally, this is gonna be in the Aramaic Abba. We, have it, we just use Father in such a formal term because our, we'll just say, Christian heritage imposes this on us. Father is very, hello, Father. You know, like, but it's actually a word for daddy or papa. It's very intimate. And you can imagine in a world of hyper-formalized religion, Jesus comes along and he talks to God like a dad. It's crazy. I mean, think about uh, what the father says to Jesus. Publicly, Mount of Transfiguration says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The, the intimacy is profound. And when Jesus talks to God, he calls him Papa. Isn't that weird? It blew everybody's brain. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to God like that? Like, isn't he transcendent? And shouldn't you be petrified of him? Look what happens. I mean, this is in verse six. Uh, it says this, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Abba, huh? Like at this point, I think they're perplexed. They're like, like we, this is easy for us because you're like, oh, it's the Father. It's re representing, you know, um, God the Father of the Trinity and the Godhead. And, and really what he's saying right now is, you pray to your Papa. They're like, this is, this is weird. Who's in secret? And your, your Papa who's in secret, he will reward you. Verse eight, your Abba, he knows what you need before you even ask him. This is not stoic language. This is intimate language. And so then Jesus says, this is how you pray. Abba in heaven. Like, do, you, do you get why this is like, uh, let's, let's talk theology just for a moment. 